High end over end variety. And Amani from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, welcome back to the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn here with Steve Mims. We're getting ready for number six Oregon versus Arizona on Saturday night at Autzen Stadium. The Ducks coming off an open date and winners of eight consecutive games and all of a sudden are in that playoff picture Going forward, if they keep winning, it'll be uh, an interesting uh, discussion. Steve, why don't we start with that? What do you make of Oregon's playoff situation right now? It's intriguing to watch. Um, you know, and there's it's almost like every week there's something. You know, Auburn plays Georgia this week, which would obviously be huge for Oregon. And then you look at what lies ahead. There's plenty of possibilities for teams ahead of them that can lose. And at the same time, there's also a possibility that LSU wins out, Ohio State wins out, Clemson wins out, and you know, the other team jumps Oregon and gets that fourth spot. So the intriguing thing to me, I was thinking about this the other day, if Oregon ends up fifth at 12 and one and fifth, and there's this outcry from the fans that we got screwed sort of in this 2001 way where we should have been national championship game. What kind of position that put Rob Mullins in? Does Rob come out and take, you know, Rob's really, def- you know, a couple of weeks ago, Rob came out and was complaining about the, the late start times because he knew that his fan base was upset about it and he kind of wanted to come out and defend them. I think it'll be fascinating if they end up five and the chairman of the committee is the Oregon athletic director. I mean, he can't say, right, the committee got this wrong because he's the guy there, although he has to supposedly step out of the room occasionally. I just think that's the fascinating. I almost feel like we're building towards that, to where this thing, they're going to be five, fans are going crazy, and Rob's sitting here going, can I, can I, do I back them up or do I back up this committee I'm on? It really, I mean, there's been already some awkward spots for Rob in this. That would really be the ultimate awkward spot. That's what I was going to bring up because I remember when uh, Rob was uh, you know, moved up to chairman of this committee. You know, I talked to him and did a story about it, and he was, you know, all excited about it. But the one piece he was working on and trying to get comfortable with was answering those questions mm-hmm. live on ESPN. And then after he does that, um, he's available on a conference call with reporters. You were on the first one a couple weeks ago. I went on this one. And it is getting awkward already mm. because people will say, so what? So when you're comparing, talk about you know the difference between Alabama, Oregon, and you know Minnesota or whatever. And he'll say, well, like, well as you know, I was refused <laughs> during yeah. the Oregon. Uh-huh. So it's kind of strange because he can't really talk to Oregon. Mm-hmm. The team inside, you know, he knows the best with – that definitive what was said in the room I, it's really awkward whether they're four or five i don't know if you heard feinbaum on the on the uh, espn show but he basically said if oregon's four there's this is this is like a, a fake news <laughs> bad election results type <laughs> situation yeah that's there and it's interesting because i think rob's really grown well into not only on the spokesman thing but just in general he seems a lot more comfortable a couple of years ago he wasn't he wasn't available to the media a whole lot. It didn't seem to be a part of his job he enjoyed, but I feel like he's gotten a lot more comfortable with that. 
and actually even as the spokesman and basically the spokesman, whoever it's been, tries to say a lot without saying anything at all. You know, they sit there and say, well, you know, you, the question becomes, you know, how did eight get ahead of nine and 10? Well, eight's resume shows this and this and this. There's never any, you know, well, nine and 10 kind of suck, we decided. We you know it's always just kind of this fan. He seemed to have gotten pretty comfortable with that. But at the same time, if he wasn't, this could be the best of both worlds for him because he could certainly almost recuse himself as a spokesman now and go say, hey, look, why don't we have somebody out there who can speak to all 10? This is silly that I'm going on there and saying that and kind of make sort of the committee look bad. So if, if he wanted out of the spokesman role at this point, I think he could probably convince them, hey, take me off this. But it, like I say, it, it happens at a time when he actually feels to really be, it's his second year on. He seems to be getting pretty comfortable with that role. Yeah, as um, I mentioned in my story the other night, and uh, at the end of the call, Bill Hancock actually was asked and, and came on and said, there is a thought that going down the yeah. road in this, that they will have another spokesman if Oregon's in the mix, someone who was in the room when yeah. Oregon was discussed. So that'll be interesting. Um, as far as the candidates for that number four spot, I mean, the consensus nationally seems to be that LSU, Clemson, Ohio State are all in unless something bizarre happens to one of those teams. Uh, for Clemson, that might only be one loss. They would probably be out. But yeah. So there's about eight teams in the mix for this, including Oregon, including Utah from the south, uh, Alabama, Georgia, et cetera. Uh, I was talking to Woody the other day on this pod, uh, Ken Woody, and, and I, my belief is that if a Pac-12 team, whether that's Oregon or Utah is 10-0 and in Pac-12 games. That's never happened before where a team goes 9-0 and mm-hmm. and then wins the championship game. 10-0 and against conference t- opponents. I think they're in over Alabama, for example, that's not even going to play for a conference championship, that's not even going to win its division. But there is that SEC conspiracy out there, and Alabama is even more of a brand name than Oregon. So there is that fear or that, uh, you know, maybe Georgia beats LSU in the – SEC championship game and both still get in. I think if Oregon and Utah are 12 and one, they're in, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think the Georgia piece is right. I think if Georgia wins it, that keeps those four all in there again. The Minnesota piece behind it's interesting because they've got, you know, still a couple ranked teams in the conference, in the regular schedule. And then another one, if they were to somehow, uh, but you know, I think if they got up there, they've all beaten Ohio state that probably knocks them out. So yeah, I, I think if you're Oregon, you get to 12 and one at this point, I think you feel pretty good about your chances as long as you can get that Georgia LSU piece out of there. And, you know, Georgia plays what Auburn this week. So, I mean, that would do twice, you know, for Oregon, what you knock Georgia out and all of a sudden that Auburn win becomes even better there. So, um, that would be the one that if you're Oregon fans sitting around waiting for the 7:30 kick, that's the game you're paying most attention to this week. And I think if you kicked one of those out, and like you say, Clemson's certainly out with one loss. Ohio State and LSU would need a little bit more. But if you can get one of those out for sure, I think it clears the path. And I'm with you. I, I think Oregon. I think Oregon sits behind Alabama and till the Pac-12 title game. Because if Alabama even wins out and you know, beats Auburn, all of a sudden that moves them a little bit ahead of Oregon during lost to them. But I think the fact that if they were to play the number six team behind them, Utah, I think that would be enough to trump Alabama on the last one. Yeah, I think the bigger threat, and it's not really a bigger threat because the odds of it happening are less, is that Minnesota goes undefeated or Baylor goes undefeated. Because yeah. an undefeated Power 5 champion, obviously, I think would leapfrog uh, Oregon at twelve and one. So and a Baylor undefeated would probably mean two wins over right. Oklahoma and like you say Minnesota. I think they've still got Ohio State in the right. They got yeah, Ohio that, State. Well, in, you would beat Iowa this weekend yeah. and then Ohio State in the championship game later on. So. Yeah, and I think there's another ranked team in there at the uh, end of the regular season. Too. That's well, right, Wisconsin think, yeah. too. So yeah, I mean, there's enough on there. Certainly, if they were to 
to row the boat a little bit further and further. They could certainly make Oregon scared too. But again, if they did that and beat Ohio State, you're right, that could get two Big Tens in suddenly because you just have one loss and it would be to another team that's in it. So what do you think the odds are of both Oregon and Utah being 11-1, and one, which is the Pac-12 scenario that they're kind of uh, hoping for? I think it gets better every week. I mean, I think Oregon's landmines are kind of out of the way. I mean, at ASU a little bit. And Utah's gotten, you know, once they got past Washington, they've got, what, like Colorado, Washington State. and Well, one... they have second place UCLA at home this That's weekend, right, this so. week. Second place in name and, you know, <laughs> second place in name and probably 58th in the CFP rankings if they went that deep. So, but yeah, how about that one there? If UCLA wins that and then beats USC, they're in this three-way tie and they've got the tiebreaker. And all of a sudden, this whole Oregon dream scenario of, playing a team that's ranked six instead you're facing probably a six and six chip kelly team though it's funny because chip always corrects people that you actually can't control your own destiny because <laughs> it's does. predetermined yeah. if it's destiny <laughs> but that cliche the bruins went out they are in the pac-12 championship yeah and that i guess would be the other game for oregon fans to watch this week you certainly want utah to keep rolling on through and uh to do that so but yeah the i think the schedule and like i say they got colorado left on there and i think there's a washington state or somebody but yeah i, I think the way it's setting up now. But, you know, the other part of it is that Utah in these past years has been in situations like this and then suddenly struggled at the end or dropped. I mean, they haven't – they've won a division title, but they haven't kind of stayed in the national race like this. They tend to fade out um, and haven't. And we've seen Oregon the past couple years has dropped one that you just don't think they're going to drop, and they haven't done that this year. They've had some opportunities in the last month, and it hasn't happened. So both teams are kind of going against sort of what's been their pattern the last couple years. Mario Cristobal can't look ahead, and he seems to have the Ducks pretty focused, but we can. How would you see an Oregon-Utah matchup? Because I think if I was in Vegas, I would probably make Utah like a three-point favorite with their defense if if both teams are healthy because their quarterback is playing really well this year, and they lost that ugly, ugly game, Pac-12 championship to Washington last year, that defensive slugfest. Mm-hmm. Uh, without their quarterback and running back. So I think they're just on a mission to do it. But then again, so is Oregon's senior class, which has been through hell and back. Yeah, one thing I watch is Huntley seems like he's a little hobbled. Uh, you know, I think it was a knee, and he's played through it. And, um, you know, I think we'll see through these next three if he can stay healthy, if they can kind of manage him. And then I'll say that championship game comes on a Friday, so it's a short week after that. Um, so I think sort of his health, if he was 100%, if he got his – Self back, I'm with you. I think that might be. A, I'd probably get closer to one or two. I mean, I think that's almost a pick them with maybe a slight advantage to Utah, just because of sort of they've been, you know, sort of the game management piece that we look at. You know, they've kind of they've shut out two teams, they've rolled a couple others, uh, in Oregon at least the last couple of weeks is you know we've come from double digits down or rallied in the last minute. So some of that would lean towards Utah, but I, I think if I just looked at the matchups, I'd. I'd like Oregon's chances there, although you know scoring isn't going to be a lot. You're right; that's probably going to be a 21-20 game, something like that. And you wonder if Oregon's defense. I, I would think they could keep you, you know, keep Utah down and around that area, and then it just comes a matter of whether or not they can get a few big plays. All right. Well, let's take our first break, and then we will talk about Oregon's basketball programs. Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. Okay, Steve, we're back. You were uh, up in Portland the other night as Oregon takes down Memphis in a matchup of really talented, ranked opponents. Um, 
I have a Prius and I'm at Matthew Knight Arena all the time, but I did not hit any basketball players. Uh, Ducks got some good news on that front and and are off to a good start. Yeah, one of the more amazing injury updates I've ever heard when the sports information director comes and says, Francis Coro got hit by a car and you're just thinking, holy cow, you know, what in the world? And then he says, but he's okay. And then you see him come out and it looks like he could play. He didn't in that one, but... You know, it was right after leaving the arena, and you know, fortunately, that comes right after a curve. So I'm assuming he got you know, the person was driving pretty slow. Apparently, he must have been looking at their phone to not see a, a six foot nine guy walking in front of him. But again, I'm assuming they must have seen him at some point and hit the brakes, and it was sort of a minor deal there. So, uh, and he did come back, and, and was a pretty big part of them keeping James Wiseman down. And James Wiseman went may go down as the final college game at James Wiseman, but that was a good win for Oregon. You know, they they beat a ranked team. Again, as I mentioned today, that may be devalued a little bit now that Wiseman's gone. If, if Memphis somehow goes off the rails and this kind of Fab Four now ends up at an 18-12 and 12 NIT-type team, that win doesn't look like what it was. But at the time, it looked good. And if they get Wiseman back, and, and this is a team that should run through the AAC if they have him, you know, this is probably a team that's a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And again, that'd be a pretty good win on what would technically go down as a neutral court. I know you were focused on Dana Altman and, and the Ducks and talking to them, but what – did you make of the vibe with Memphis coming in where Penny Hardaway is alleged to have given Wiseman 11 grand, you know, mm-hmm. to move or whatever it was for? And the NCAA obviously is saying shut him down. And, and Memphis, they have now, but for a couple of games, there's like, no, yeah, we're playing him. Well, it seems like when you hire basically an AAU coach and a high school coach because of his recruiting ties, you're kind of basically pretty much you know you're walking a fine line in recruiting and it seemed like they probably decided you know even though it came early then they probably expected that like we hired penny we're just going to back penny in this thing and kind of fight for him and if it turns out he did something wrong we'll take the problem with it but he's brought in the number what one or two recruiting class in the country we're going to back him and you know and, and then you got a guy who basically coached him in high school and then he transferred to his high school and then somehow for two years the high school rules never jumped in and stopped it and then he goes to college and the player follows him to college it's like if, if you weren't going to follow some breadcrumbs that there was a little somewhat of a of an odd relationship between him and the number one player in the country I can't imagine that Memphis ever th- thought it was going to never have somebody tend to take a deeper look at it but like I say it just appears they decided in Penny we trust and we're going to kind of follow you until the NCAA takes something away and like, it sounds like eventually today finally they looked and realized okay maybe this does go NCAA tends to build their rules through their member schools it's almost like the high schools always say and so they don't tend to lose a lot of those because you tend to have kind of committees that are made up with people from the schools and so when you go to court you say look these were passed by the people who are representing all these schools so it makes it harder for them to lose those kinds of cases an aau coach who by the way made tens of millions of dollars <laughs> in the nba um, and who uh, donated a million back to the school that right. then hired him it's apparently like they didn't know that he was technically a booster when they hired him as head coach so Oregon is off to a really good start. Not only did they beat Memphis, they beat uh, Fresno and Boise, two you know, teams that aren't expected to contend in the Mountain West, but solid Mountain West programs. I thought it would take them a while to get the chemistry together with so many new players. What have you seen so far? Well, here's one thing that jumps out to me. is but The last couple of years with these one-and-dones and with grad transfers, they've had some who have clearly – came here to kind of boost their NBA stock. Lou King came here to go for one year. Bull Bull came here to go for one year. Winning for Oregon wasn't his main goal. Elijah Brown, we saw a grad transfer a couple years ago. Same thing. Um, you know, Troy Brown was coming here for a one-year type deal. This is a team made up of, if you look at them, the three freshmen they have now are not one-and-done type guys. These are guys who are in there not complaining about the fact they're not playing a lot yet. They're guys that are coming off the bench. They're not instantly in the lineup and trying to get into the 2020 NBA draft. So I think that's one part of it is that the freshmen seem like they're bought in. 
to what Dana wants them to do and not trying to kind of do their own thing and boost their numbers. The two grad transfers are guys who've never been to the NC2A tournament. So you got Justin and Anthony Mathis. Basically seem like they want to get to the I don't think either of those guys have, you know, are here to try to become first-round picks. They may get looks in, in the pros, but they're not guys who are boosting their stock. They want to get to an NC2A tournament. And the three guys they got back in Richardson, Okoro, and, and Pritchard are all pretty good leader types, you know? I mean, when they're – it's almost like a Herbert Troy Dye thing. When your best leader and your guy who's leading everybody is a senior who's done some stuff, people listen to him. So they got that. And then you got a junior college transfer in Duarte. So there's just nobody on this team that looks to me like there would be an individual agenda or have a reason for an individual agenda or would be here for a kind of a quick stop. This feels like finally Dana Altman has gotten a group that's here kind of to invest and see what this team can do this year. I think that's somewhat why some of the chemistry issues early on, I think they have a group that will listen to what he's doing. Now he's always going to find 14 things to complain about early on in the season that they're not doing right. But I don't think any of the issues this year are that some of these guys might have their own individual agenda. Well, it should be a fun winter at Matthew Knight Arena when you look at uh, the other team that plays there. The Oregon women open their season. It didn't count in the standings, but they beat the U.S. women's national team. Uh, granted, a few of the stars were not there, but this is the best team in the world they just yeah. beat. So uh, coming down from that high, they still uh, blow out a couple inferior opponents to get to 2-0. and uh, Sabrina Ionescu's jersey was finally available. Uh, Kelly Graves said it was kind of like the Popeye's chicken sandwich. <laughs> Everyone wants Only on it. on Sundays. Everyone wants it. <laughs> and then when you try to go get it, they're out of it already. So uh, uh, excuse my ignorance. I've only lived here six years, but do we have a Popeye's? I don't. We do not. There's one in okay. Portland. There's not one in Eugene, but I think Portland and Salem maybe. Okay. Because Kelly travels a lot, so he's you know, obviously probably, tried to get one. He's going out by the Portland airport. He probably gets them on his trips up there. Yeah, so I haven't had one either, but uh, the Sabrina Ionescu jerseys are out unless they uh, reload those for their home game on Saturday. Uh, a quick order there, but uh, kind of an interesting night. Last night, uh, they blow out Utah State, but Sabrina went down clutching the back of her yeah. leg. Uh, for a minute there, it was a little eerie at Matthew Knight Arena, but in the end, it was a Charlie horse. She could have got a triple-double if Graves would have would have left her in. But, you know, this is the number one team in the country, and now they have the number one 2020 recruiting class coming in. I mean, this is a machine all of a sudden. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually went to the game last night with my wife just to sit in the stands and watch, and we were actually down went to, for halftime. We went down to the beer garden to have a drink, and we ended up staying a little bit longer, and all of a sudden somebody looks up on the TV and is like, you know, oh my gosh, and the entire place looks up and you got Sabrina down there holding the knee and it was just like you've never seen a, a beer garden go quiet. I know the arena apparently did, but I can, I can vouch for the fact the beer garden did too. But then we went back to our seats and we're watching them and she got, you know, her stat line got like six assists and then it got to eight. And you, I mean, all of a sudden, even in the upper rows where you hear everybody's like looking and, you know, my wife looks says, why is she still in the game? I'm like, well, some of these people around here are still waiting for the And she got to the nine. And then when she, when she came out, there were actually some boos up where we were. People were booing that he yeah. took her out because she had gone from like six to nine assists. You know, she had like six with five to go and she got to like nine with like two minutes left. And pretty clearly she could have found somebody to pass to for another bucket the way they were going. But it was interesting. And I think it was the same thing that, you know, the first game she could have had a triple double. I mean, she, ended up with what like 10 8 and 6 or something and if that was a game they needed so they certainly have decided that the the, the stat stuffing triple doubles aren't necessary for this for her because there's kind of bypassed two of them they could have easily gotten if they needed yeah graves was asked uh if sabrina said anything about not being allowed to finish that triple double and he said basically she grumbles at 
me every time I bring her out, and then she stands in my way until I put her back in. So she's the ultimate competitor, and uh, it's going to be quite a season for the Ducks, barring injuries, and as we found out the other night, at any moment those could creep in, but barring injuries, they have a great shot of winning the national championship. Let's take our last break and then look ahead to the Saturday's game. Hi, Ryan Thorburn here, sports reporter at the Register Guard. I've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years. Marcus Mariota being presented the Heisman Trophy in New York. Oregon blowing defending national champion Florida State off the field in the Rose Bowl. Sabrina Ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the Ducks from Pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse. No other media company covers Oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at DuckSports.com. But in order for the Register Guard to continue its rich history of local journalism, we need your support. Please subscribe and support our advertisers to help us chronicle the Ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come. Okay, Steve, I haven't looked lately, but the other day, uh, Oregon was close to a four-touchdown favorite over Arizona. This is another program that's struggling, that's fired their defensive coordinator. So far, Kevin Sumlin doesn't look like a a good fit like we all thought he would be with Khalil Tate. Uh, Khalil Tate is might not even start. You know, <laughs> they might go with the freshmen. So uh, Arizona's kind of a mess right now, and Oregon is refreshed and healthy and ready to go. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm expecting Oregon to win. I just don't know that they'll necessarily cover the 28, but they got a good chance at it. Yeah, it's so bizarre. I was looking back at Khalil's game kind of game from that two years ago, that sophomore year when nobody heard him at the start. And I mean, it was six straight games of like 137 or more, including like a 240 against Colorado on the ground. And there's just been nothing similar to that. I mean, when Richrod left, you'd think with the two years left, they would have found a way. But yeah, I mean, now and now they're basically kind of looking to the future. They got Grant Gannell in there, who's you know a six six, completely different style. He can run a little bit. They talk about, but certainly not the the factor that Khalil is and. It's almost, I mean, the old cliche, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And every coach you ever talk to says, I don't want to rotate quarterbacks. But, you know, it seems like they've reached a situation to where whether it's partly because they're looking for the future and partially because they just don't believe in Khalil fits their system as well as he did some others. Um, You know, the way they're kind of mixing and matching. But that's certainly, I mean, if there's any thought that, well, you confuse a defense with that, I, I think you confuse a defense a lot more if you have one really good quarterback than if you have two and you're sitting there gimmicking around which guy's going to come in which series. And it works out great for Mario from a uh, get-the-team-motivated standpoint because the Ducks were embarrassed last year in Tucson, and uh, Arizona's defense was taking headshots at Dylan Mitchell and Justin Herbert, and they uh, have done a good job addressing that without saying much, but Mm -hmm. you can tell they're motivated to to really stick it to this team. Well, and this feels like if there was ever a team that you wanted to – you felt like, man, I would like to put 60 on them. This is a team you can actually do it on. I mean, they gave up, what, 56 to Oregon State. Um, now at home, with Oregon coming home, coming off a bye, this feels like one where if Oregon's in any kind of rhythm, this thing could be 35-3 by the half. And Now, of course, the last time I said Oregon had put 70 on somebody was the Washington State game a couple weeks ago, and Oregon was trailing that one coming into the final minute of the game. So I'm not sure that I'm my uh, my predictions have been that trustworthy, but this really feels like one where, like you said, I mean, just everything working. Every Oregon's healthy. Oregon's coming off a bye. Oregon's playing a team with a bad defense. It's got some hard feelings against them. This feels like 35 in the first half for Oregon, and maybe tack on a couple more there before you before you bring Tyler in to finish the thing off. 
Yeah, I mean, Oregon just did everything against USC. Huge special teams plays. Jawan Johnson looking like, you know, the greatest receiver of all time for one quarter there. Uh, the defense, you know, made a lot of plays, a lot of interceptions. They had it all rolling there. You just wonder, can they pick up where they left off, or will the open date kind of – will they get off to another slow start? Yeah, I wouldn't think that that – I mean, I think at this point this team – you know, especially coming out the last three weeks that they've had, you know, I think they realize they've been vulnerable at spots. But you know, to have a great year, you got to win a couple of games that maybe you you didn't know you were gonna, and that includes you know coming back from fourteen down on the road against Washington and getting a game-winning kick from a guy who hadn't really made much of a clutch kick all year long. So when those kind of things happen, that's what turns an eight and four into an eleven and one, and that's kind of where Oregon's at right now. I don't really see a lot of uh, intriguing storylines. I guess C.J. Verdell and Cyrus Habibi Lakio were banged up against USC. Uh, Darian Felix did some nice things, you know, catching the ball. I guess, where do they stand with their rotation? Do they want to lean on one guy, maybe CJ if he's healthy, or are they going to keep mixing it up? I guess the running game and, and where that's at is one thing that'll be interesting. Or the angle of what if Brendan Schooler is giving all of Oregon's secrets <laughs> to Colin Schooler this week? That might be the other scenario, the other uh, rumor that will people start to spread out this week. Yeah, people are still uh, a little bent about that and wanting to know what Colin was thinking. And, and you talk to his dad; they don't really have anything. Yeah, much his dad to just said basically that. we we we're in a, we want to move on. You know, appreciate everything Oregon did. Had a great time. Was proud to get a degree from there. But I don't think they wanted to go through and rehash or whatever went through. I mean, and I get that. You know, they've last thing you want to do is kind of get in the middle of college football Twitter. And I guess the more you talk, probably the more it's out there. So I respect the fact that they just said, Hey, look, we're going to move on. And it, uh, you know, and you wonder if Brendan sits back now and looks and says, man, this thing, they end up in a college football playoff him. And, uh, who was the other guy? Khalil Halase, the guys who transfer in the middle yeah. of the season are suddenly going to be wondering if maybe they could have been fitting for rings. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is a possibility. I think if, if Justin Herbert, who's really, really good friends with Colin, has no problem with it, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I think everyone else should probably move on. I mean, maybe the kid wants to another full year to develop. He's not an NFL guy right now. Maybe he wants to play with Colin. Whatever. Maybe he's into graduate school. Yeah. For free. So. Maybe he wants to go play defense again somewhere. Maybe yeah. he thinks his NFL future is on defense instead of offense. I mean, there's a million reasons you can do it. Or he like said, maybe you just really enjoy college and decided I want one more year of college. Well, even if Colin Schooler has the game plan and all of the hand signals and all of the verbiage, I think Oregon rolls. Uh, make sure you check out DuckSports.com for our coverage leading into and out of that game, and thanks for tuning in.